Greetings and welcome to the Men of Sorrows Finding Joy podcast. I am William Lloyd, a man of sorrows. Today I sit down with Dave Deal. Dave and his wife Laura founded Grieving Parent Sharing Hope, an international and multifaceted ministry that brings comfort and healing to parents. Dave is more of the behind the scenes guy producing the podcast and handling all the tech, although he does um, share on some podcasts. Laura is the main host. Laura has written books, and Dave and Laura run retreats. All that information will be in the show notes, and I want to say personally that Dave and Laura were my companions many mornings in the early days of my grief. On the way to work, I would turn on their podcast and listen, and I received comfort and insight. And it helped me along my journey. Without further delay, please listen in on my conversation with Dave. I am here. I'm here with Dave Deal. He and his wife, Laura, have a a podcast and a ministry. And they've written books. And it's Grieving Parents Finding Hope. And I want to just tell you, Dave, how much I appreciate your ministry because after the original shock and awe of losing my son on the way to work, I was looking for something. I, I don't know how I searched, but your your podcast came up and I, I listened to a lot of them. Uh, mostly Laura's kind, gentle voice and just her voice let me know she knew what I was going through. And um, just the approach and the empathy and the balance of um, giving people permission to feel the pain and yet look for that hope that Jesus Christ gives us. So I really appreciate you. You're more of the, the behind the scenes, it seems. You've been on several, and I've listened to them, and they're really good. And we'll talk about one of them a little later. But just as much as you can start wherever you want to share your story and, and Becca's life and, and your story of grief and loss and how you came through that. Uh, first, thank you so much. It, it just it, it always warms our heart to know getting feedback that uh, it's helping people out there. And when we started the podcast, it was relatively small, but it has blossomed worldwide now. It's in some some countries, it's one of the top podcasts actually, which is amazing to me. Being yeah, it, it's such a narrow scope, but mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's just great to know that uh, people in this painful predicament are finding some hope out there. And that's the whole purpose of our ministry, Grieving Parents Sharing Hope. So Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As you said, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the background guy. My wife's got a, uh, her giftings are very much in the singing and speaking and writing. And I was in IT for many years, so I've much more in the background working on the computers and all the technical stuff. And she's not real good at that stuff. So. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a good mix. Good, yeah. good mixture. You know, Laura's voice, it just flows so freely. Yeah. She definitely speaks from the heart all the time and she's very vulnerable and she doesn't put on any air of, I don't know how you would say it. She's just very real. Yes. And, uh, and she feels very deeply. She always has. She tells a story about, you know, how easy it is for her to cry because she still cries a lot. And then when you lose a child, that just, you know, 
even if you're not a crier, it's going to come at some point. Mm -hmm. But she had, uh, even as a kid, she uh, went to a little thing in Wisconsin Dells that it was a storybook garden. So there's a bunch of stories that, you know, as a little girl, you'd walk around and see stuff. And the little Bo Peep had lost her sheep. And she found that out and started crying. And little Bo Peep went all over the place to find the sheep to bring it back to Laura to so that she'd stop crying saying, I found the sheep. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. She does have a real empathetic heart. And yes. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very blessed by her and her voice. And yeah. And I've found over the years that uh, the voice of the Holy Spirit quite often can sound like your wife. So if you're married, you know, don't ignore your 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 spouse. You know, it it's uh, absolutely he uses our, our wives a lot in their lives. Yeah. To direct us. My, my wife is very good at not saying I told you so too. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. grace there. <laughs> yes. Yes. So tell me about Becca. I went on your website and I saw her story and it's a, it's a story of courage and beauty and there was um, suffering that went on before, before she passed, before she went home. And I remember you talking about it on one of your podcasts that I think it was your oldest daughter that presented the news to you and the, your immediate care natural was, I have to, I have, to, what does my daughter think and how is she feeling? Right. You know? Yeah. Just and, automatically go into protection mode. And it took and, a while for and, you to grieve, right? Yeah. You know, I did, you know, go into my daughter's hospital room where she, her body was. And, and I did cry and spend some time in there, but overall my, that protective mode of a dad and a husband, I was more concerned about how my kids were doing and how my wife was doing mm -hmm. and didn't take the time to uh, really recognize my loss at first. And even though it's in your face every moment of every day, yeah. So, how, how long do you think it, it, it took? Um, it probably took a good week or two before I started getting to the point. Because, you know, you're so, you have to deal with preparations for the funeral. I know writing the check for my daughter's uh, burial plot. I, you know, teardrops are all over that check because you just uh -huh. never dream of, of having to do that. But uh, yeah, that, but that first week or two, yeah, it's just all protection mode, you know, yeah. trying to take care of everybody else. Yeah. Did you ever find yourself want to stay in that mode or? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think in general, Americans, we don't deal with grief very well. We all want to bury it. And even in the Christian community in America, it's all about the victory. We identify with yes. the resurrection of Jesus, you know. And, but, you know, we, my wife was in many years in a children, international children's ministry and traveled all over the world training pastors and children's ministers and, and, uh, bringing children into the presence of God and going to the third world countries, you realize that they 
tend to really connect to Jesus in his sufferings. And that's something that until we lost our daughter, it it wasn't a reality to me from that perspective. It's like, yeah, you know, they're suffering. I had a cold yesterday, you know, type of thing. Yes, <laughs> but, yeah. You know, it, it's that suffering is, and, and it's, it's one thing that really as bereaved parents, when you take a step back and change your perspective, it can be very healing to recognize that it's almost an honor in the sense that we get to understand a depth of his suffering that in a lot of ways, there's no other way to understand it. You know, God, the father gave his son and he, he lost his son through that whole process. And he, he knew what was coming of it, but it didn't change the reality of, I'm sure the pain of having to watch through it yeah i Which, i agree uh, with everything yeah. yeah i the 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 emphasis like you said on we're going to have a celebration of life or or victory you have to go through the morning like i i i officiated and walked people through um grief and loss. So I knew about it in my head. So when it hit me, I knew I had to grieve, but I, I appreciate you, you know, mentioning that it's, it's painful and there's, there's nothing wrong with feeling that pain. I mean, Paul right. did tell us to mourn. He didn't say don't mourn. He said mourn with the hope. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, so after, after you, got like that's that there's that original shock and awe too that i think it's a protection thing that our body to keep us alive really but i think that yes. um yes. like after that shock and awe wears off like you said right in the checks there's there's things that make reality sink in so for me in my head i knew that um, I knew that I was in pain. It was vibrating throughout my body, but my type, you know, my personality is I have to do this right. <laughs> That's what I was thinking in my mind. Uh, I have to mourn yeah. right. I have to grieve the right way. But when, yeah. And how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. Um, what other, what resources, um, did you use? Did you, did you have, uh, like I had one of my best friends and the senior pastor of our, our ministry. He was a Vietnam veteran acquainted with all this. And we sat for hours just processing. I, I mean, I saw, I said, I named him as my grief counselor and I, I went to some support groups. Um, what resources were there for you, if any? There really wasn't much at the time. Um, Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons our ministry shifted from her children's ministry into full-time uh, bereaved parent ministry. Back back then, uh, if you looked at Facebook or or a lot of books written, there's a lot of hopelessness. You know, parents saying you'll never be the same. I mean, which mm -hmm. there's truth to that, but they meant it in the sense that you'll never have joy again you'll never have the hope again and and uh 
that's just not true, especially as believers. We have the seed of hope within us. And it's just a matter of, you know, getting away from asking the question why that never gets answered <laughs> to shifting yeah. it to how, how God, how are you going to get us through this? How are you going to shift me? And to your point where you mentioned earlier for bereaved parents, we have found the first year, this is, was our experience and, and we found it to be true in most cases. The first year you you've, you're in this fog and, and a lot of times this fog is partly there to protect you, like mm -hmm. you had mentioned. But by the time you've gone through all the year of the firsts, you know, the first birthday, the first anniversaries of the first Christmases, you get to that second year and you start thinking, okay, well, I've made it through. At least I know what to prepare for. So this should be a little bit better for us. And in particular for my wife, year number two was far more difficult than year number one, because that reality just hits you straight in the face and that fog has lifted. And uh, that's why they say for parental grief, a lot of the experts will say five years and younger is considered fresh fresh grief yes and for many of us there's ptsd on top of it depending on the circumstances mm -hmm. so it's you know and and usually in the christian world especially there is a tendency it seems you know i, I don't mean to use this broad brush but it, it does seem to be the case that within a year or two the church support starts switching over to okay we've got to build you back up we've got to get you into the victory and it's time to move on from this not understanding that parental grief losing a child is much more difficult or different than a lot of other losses and it's it's a very lengthy process yeah yes it it is and i i bear witness with what you said about and that's what scared me is that I had a couple people visit me right away that, um, in fact, it was a family that lost their, their son. He was a Marine and my son and his son were in the Marines together. And he did, he said, it doesn't get better. You get used to it. And that scared me because I said, I cannot get used to this. <laughs> you know, I can't, there's gotta be, and, the, the fog that you described is, is so real. And the, the second year for us as a family um, was difficult, was difficult. Um, I think, I think my wife, my, my daughter, Grace was the youngest still in, in the home with us. They were watching me. They were watching me. And once they knew I was all right, then they kind of dealt with their stuff as much as I tried to help them. Um, it was almost like, you know, that I had to get better. And I do remember, I remember when the, I remember when the fog lifted and the heaviness lifted, it was a very distinct moment for me um, where I was, I had peace, you know, God showed me, I just had to get through the day, but there was one moment where I don't know, just something broke. 
And I, I, I came, in fact, I came out of a suicide grief support meeting and I was going to call my wife because I was going to go to the store. And I remember just at that minute when I pushed the button to call her, something, something lifted and I felt this, I felt joy and it's never left me. It's never, you know, and I'll cry at the drop of a hat still different things. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I still, I still have times where I cry, but you know how they, they talk about the, the stages of grief that Kubler-Ross never meant it to be this linear, <laughs> this linear yeah, thing. Yeah, um, that was that was written for somebody with terminal illness and how yes. you know the process you go through. So it it, it works for that. Yeah, that people take it as okay, all grief is this way. No, yeah. not quite, not quite. <laughs> because on day five, on I remember on the fifth day, I something was I think it was a miracle that God just gave me a relief, but I thought I was through it. On the fifth day, I said, oh, I feel great today. I'm peaceful. I know my son's with God. So I said, wow. And I started Googling, can you go through grief in five days? <laughs> yeah. So you're you're well, on the backside of that first wave. Yes. <laughs> Not realizing the next one's right, right there. Yeah. And you just tell it. <laughs> and it did. It came. Man, did it crash. But, um, you know, I, I it's. It is. It is un, unlike. I, I feel like it goes against the natural order of of things. Um, so how long and, and, now? And, was... and, it, and, and it does. It does. But one thing that's very interesting is the first death ever recorded in the Bible is the death of a child, which yeah. just I think is very interesting. Yeah. 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 Now. Um, Becca passed in 2005, correct? Or 2011. 2011. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 2011. And so it's been, that's been 12 years now. When, when did you and Laura decide to, to begin um, your ministry that you uh, have? It kind of happened organically. Mm -hmm. um, 2011 is, uh, she was 29 years old, married with a nine year old child. And uh, just very, I can just very quickly go through her story. Yeah, take your time. When, when she was uh, when she was three, she was diagnosed with bone cancer, and she went through two months of chemotherapy, and then had her left leg amputated, and another seven months of chemotherapy. And back then, chemotherapy was all inpatient, and she was mm -hmm. in the children's ward at the Children's Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, initially, out of 14 kids in her in her her ward, she was the only survivor of those original 14. Mm -hmm. And watching her, oh, you know, after that nine months, things seemed to be getting better. And so we were just saying, you know, just here's a miracle she survived uh, something that many other families we're going through things that we went through years later, but yes, you know, it just seemed like she was the type of girl that she just had tenacity to fight through everything. And uh, so anyway, one of the uh, chemo, chemo drugs that she, they were giving when she was 13, we got a call 
and they said that they had been discovering a lot of kids that had that were having heart issues. And uh, some of them were having issues with childbirth or in sports, you know, having heart attacks or whatever. So she had tested at age 13 and she did have mild heart damage because of that. But it was very mild. They were just going to monitor it. They did say that, you know, there's high risk in pregnancies. But when she was when she got married at age 20, she wanted a child. She knew the risks, but that wasn't going to stop her from having having a, a child. And that was just kind of the type of person she was. She was going to risk whatever it was for something else. And yes, and when she did have her child, she she, she even read wrote how I never knew your heart could live with outside of your body but you know that's how parents feel about their kids yeah but her uh, her pregnancy was very very difficult about my wife's much better on all the details on this than I yes and lays it out in her book real well but the uh the, I think it was about the second or third month into her pregnancy her heart just wasn't going to take it much longer. So they wanted her to be full-time in the heart ward in a Meritor hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. And they, so she's in the heart ward hooked up to all these heart monitors and everything. And she's got all her stamping stuff, all these different things with her so she can do what she wants to do and enjoy life while she's laying in this hospital bed. And they had a little incubator on the side in case the heart gave out. They could get the child out within 60 seconds. Uh And they were just trying to get her pregnancy to the point where the child was far enough along that the major complications of a preemie shouldn't be be, uh, there. So So I think she got up to about 32 or 34 weeks or so right in that framework where... uh, they realized her heart just wasn't going to take anymore. So she had a, she wanted to give naturally and they said, okay, well, if you're going to do naturally, you have to two things. You can't feel pain and you can't push. Well, that, that's not very easy, but she wanted yeah. to try. And after a day's worth, she just couldn't do it. So she actually slept that night with everything hooked up to her still in the surgery room. Cause they didn't take her to a birthing center. She was in surgery mm-hmm. for this birth because of the heart complications. Yeah. And they gave her and the child about a 50% chance of living and surviving this. And uh, the next day she ended up having a successful C-section and survived the, 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 the birth and the child was tiny little preemie, but perfectly healthy. And, uh, I think she was like five weeks premature or so six weeks and uh but that did escalate a lot all of her heart issues so it wasn't much longer after that that she had to go to the mail clinic for a heart valve uh, surgery to fix that and then they tried to manage everything by drugs uh, and medications but over the next nine to ten years of her life she was in and out of the hospital all the time with various Mm -hmm. complications she even had to have a heart pump given to her 
where they opened up her heart, put a pump in to drive the heart because they were trying to get her to transplant, but she wasn't healthy enough for that. She needed to lose 60 pounds at least, but she's relatively immobile because of two reasons. One was uh, when you have heart issues, you have a lot of water weight. She only had one leg and she couldn't put her leg on because of the water weight. And then there was a time where she, uh, she ended up having a, a stroke and lost the use of her left arm. And that just made her that much more immobile. So it was, it was just very difficult for her to get to, to that spot. So just, you know, I won't go into all the details, but over the, the last year and a half, two years, she had, you know, those three open heart surgeries and uh, she had sepsis, which had a 20% survival rate, even lower with her heart condition she had, but she survived that. Mm -hmm. It just one, she had sudden cardiac death. She was out for, they think, 15 to 17 minutes, but they were able to revive her heart. And she survived that. It's just one thing after another. So from Laura and my spot, we felt very blindsided when she did pass away because it's like, this guy, you know, God's either going to give her a brand new heart or get her to transplant. It's just yes. one thing after another, she survives. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was up in the hospital for a very routine Lasix get water weight off um, for a couple evenings. And then she was scheduled to go home. And that night she passed away and it, it just kind of blindsided us because of that. And so it seems have... kind of strange, but if you just see the miracle after miracle after miracle, it, it, it did. So yeah, that yeah. was, that was close to 12 years ago. And that took especially Laura to a very, very dark place. And Laura has always had a, a, such a close relationship to the Lord more than anybody I've ever known in my life. And uh, to see her going into such a dark place was, say, I don't know how how people that don't have a close relationship to him can, can deal with it because it, it was a struggle for her, especially. And, and I, I think some of those that bereaved moms have that are above even what we as fathers feel. Yes. Is they have just a special connection. If you think, we always realize, you know, they carried another human being inside of them for nine months. Yes. But it was more than just that body. They carried the very soul and spirit of another person. And when wow. they were born, that body's umbilical cord was snapped. But the spiritual one, that's connected forever and ever type of thing. Yeah. And when that child dies, that's a separation and ripping and tearing away that like no other. And uh, yeah. so I can see why it, it can be even more difficult for them. Not saying that it's not hard for us dads, but right. I, I can see that even more. So she searched for a lot of things. Just There just was so much darkness out there. Mm -hmm. And about three years after her death, um, Laura had different other, other people that whose children 
had died and somehow found her and got a hold of her. And she said, I, I don't know what to tell you, but let's walk this together. And she just walked through this stuff together with them. And three, three years later, we're, uh, our pastor of our church asked if we could start a life group for bereaved parents. So you have to have a name for something like that. So we created it and came up with Grieving Parents Sharing Hope, or GPS, Hope. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the goal of the ministry is to bring other grieving parents to a place that they can be grieving parents sharing hope for, to others. Yes, and, uh, I love it. So it um, that, that little group kind of expanded. We ended up meeting outside the church and with her writing her book at the time called When Tragedy Strikes, that uh, received several awards. So she was being asked to speak at different places. And it became very clear between that and the fact that children's ministry is so high energy and the last thing you have after a little child loss is energy. Yeah. That God really wanted us to move away from the children's ministry even though that you get her talking about that, that passion still bubbles over in there. Yeah. But um, so we moved full time into that and changed the name of the ministry. And, and, uh, and then about five years ago, Laura was downstairs in her prayer room and I was upstairs in my, our room. And she felt the Lord telling her that uh, you need to sell the house to your son and buy a motorhome and go out full time. And we had been talking about maybe getting a, a motorhome to be able to go out and take conferences to bereaved parents, you know, a week here, a week there type of thing. Yeah. And so she came up very sheepishly to talk to me because, you know, okay, how am I supposed to tell this to my husband? <laughs> so she shared it with me and I go, well, God's been sharing the same thing with me. We just, it was never a thought in our he heads before that to ever be living this kind of lifestyle. But um, that's what we did. Um, we just obeyed what he said to do and, and uh, sold our house to our son. And within 10 days of, of making that decision and realizing that in, essentially he was calling us to be missionaries to bereaved parents. In particular, his his church, his you know, Christians that are going through this struggle, and uh, so within ten days, we actually found a motorhome, and that's a God story in and of itself that I won't bother sharing here. But um, and we've been on the road for five years now, um, with uh, giving retreats uh, in various places. Still doing all the online stuff, the podcasts, the blogs. The uh, she'll be releasing her eighth book, probably on Becca's birthday, April thirteenth. That book is going to be a much bigger one. It's called Reflections of Hope: Daily Re Readings for a Bereaved Parent. It'll have three hundred and sixty-six daily readings, and it's not, it's not, uh, not these little. Um, it's not a daily devotional. So the mm -hmm. book's going to be uh, considerably yeah. thick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but her beta readers didn't want her to shorten anything up. They wanted her to keep it. So each day is probably an hour, uh, 
one and a half to two pages long. So the book's like 730, 740 pages. Yeah. It'll be hardcover. Um, but that uh, she's been working on for two years. The first seven books came out of her, like within the, the first five came out in 13 months. Wow. And the next, next two came, you know, in a couple of years through there. But this one is definitely much more laborious and, and being so big, a lot of editing. So we're in the final yeah. stages of the editing now and hoping that we can release it on Becca's birthday on the 13th. That's yeah, that's that's awesome. And I'll, I'm going to have all your resources, um, your, your website, the book, all, all the books will be on there. I'm going to have all that in the show notes because you are uh, a wealth of, of resources. And you mentioned, you know, back that I and I think Laura mentioned it on one of the podcasts that some of the either the support groups or some of the information out there didn't offer that hope. It's just that this is terrible. It's awful. You'll never get over the pain. And I understand that. I really do. Um, when my dad passed um, a couple years after my my son and my dad knew the Lord and we talked and, you know, he had a congestive heart failure. He was 83. He said, son, this, listen, you know, you know what's going on here. He said, this is going to be a piece of cake for you but you're going to have to look after everybody else. <laughs> I said, it's not going to be a piece of cake, Dad. I'm going to miss you. He says, listen, Liam and I will be front and center when it's your time to pass over. We'll be waiting with Jesus and the angels. And, and it was. It was like with my dad. It was much easier. But my sister called me, and my sister had that victory mentality that you were talking about in the church. And she said, she was sobbing. She says, I didn't know it would hurt this bad. You know, I just didn't know. And and you had mentioned, you know, and, and that it grew organically, but it was, I'm telling you, there was a deep, deep need out there. And you guys filled it because when I searched for podcasts and I started listening, I took a deep breath and I, the hope that you had gave me hope. You know, the hope that you gave me said, yeah, see, people do come out of this. The, the truth of the gospel does kick in because I knew it. A lot of a lot of head knowledge with some heart knowledge. But I was like you used the word blindsided. And um, as I was listening to your story and as I had read through it a while back, um, I did think about that because you as a dad had gone through a lot of suffering up to that point. You know, you watched your daughter lose her leg. And, you know, we always like dads are protective and they, they can't, yeah. you know, you can't grab cancer and get it away from your child. Uh, and here's, here's a little side story on that. Um, the way we've discovered that was I was just sort of wrestling around with Rebecca as dads do with her kids in her living room. And she ended up kind of banging her knee on the floor and it really hurt her bad. So that's why we took her in to get it checked in, checked out to see if that hurt, hurt her somehow. Cause it, it was just a little wrestling thing. It wasn't anything yeah. major Took but a monster. for it to hit, hit in such a way to cause that kind of pain. We thought there's gotta be something going on here. Yeah. So we took her in, they did a, a, uh, an x-ray on her hip because with kids a lot of times knee pain really is originating from hip 
Now, the technician noticed something really strange on the lower end that wasn't on the x-ray, but it was just starting to get it there. So she ended up taking her back again and doing it on the knee. And going from all that process, ended up finding out that this small percentage of a chance of this being cancer is exactly what it was. Wow. And in talking with her, as a little child, she thought I caused that. Oh, I was the cause of losing the leg in a way because that was the pain mm -hmm. from that. And she wasn't right. set or mad at me, but in her little mind, that's that's what caused all this. Yes, and uh, yes. we discovered that a few years later. Yeah. Uh, so it just you know your heart just rips thinking yeah. thinking through yeah. that stuff. But yeah, you had gone, you had gone through. Um, and the other thing um, that I wanted you to talk a little bit about that you had mentioned on one of your podcasts was about how, you know, men have the nothing box. And I, I shared with you through email that one of the reasons I started this podcast, it was similar, um, Men of Sorrows Finding Joy, was that the groups that I went to, men were noticeably absent. And um, the wives and the sisters, the moms would say, my husband's angry and he, you know, he just keeps busy, you know, just throws himself into his work. Or, And I remember when I, when I did feel angry at one point, um, I said, oh, that anger feels a lot better than that raw grief. <laughs> That anger feels better than, right? And I thought, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I certainly didn't want to get stuck there. But God, the the best way I can describe my experience is God raised me from the dead. You know, right. you talked about Laura going to that dark place. I mean, I. Yeah. The whole thing is recovering from your own death when your child dies. Yes. So that you, you can't live away. And, you know, we talk about God's expertise is resurrection. He used yeah. he'll, he'll raise that that death, but to life. But we think of it from the physical perspective in our child, not realizing that we've died our own death in a sense, and that's the life he's trying to resurrect. Yeah, yeah. and um, just explain how you saw that the the grief explodes and affects all the other areas using Gergen's um, yeah. um, the box the box theory. Yeah. <laughs> Well, like, like I had mentioned, we do this session in our retreats, but uh, I like to show the this little episode from uh, Mark Gunger, who talks about the difference between men's brains and women's brains. And it's a broad brush. We don't know. Some women are more like the man brain and some men are more like the women's brain, but most often it's this way. And it definitely seems like it's that way for you and me. Yeah. That a man's brain is made up of a bunch of tiny boxes. We have a box for the car, a box for work. We have a box for our wife, a box for our kids, a box for the mother-in-law somewhere down in the basement. <laughs> we have all these all these different boxes, and we just take yeah. out. When we discuss something, we take out just that box. And then when we're done, we put it back ever so gently not to touch any other box. You know, and uh, it's very well, very much that compartmentalized type of thing. Yes. And uh, that's why we tend, not all, I've come across some men that really need 
to talk about it and they need other men to talk about it. So when we, when we, those of us who shy away from the talking, we're kind of hurting our brothers who really need to talk about it by not showing up to these groups or being a part of it because we can be there for them to help that process. But anyway, there's, there's something called the, the nothing box that most of us have. And, uh, it's our favorite box, my favorite box. There's absolutely nothing in it. And that's why we can just veg out and, yeah. you know, use a remote control and switch from one channel to the next to the next and not watch a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, but the problem with, you know, grief, in my case, my Becca box shattered into a million pieces and not just pieces, but dust particles. Yeah. And, our tendency as men is okay. I got to get out a grief box, sweep all this up and dump it in there and put that away. And I'll deal with it when I can deal with it, but I don't have time to deal with it. I got to go to work. You know, what do we get three days off for the loss yeah. of a child? You know, when it, yeah. my wife talked, we even talked to uh, speaker Ryan back when he was speaker of the house uh-huh. that there, there's this, there, there's a, law out there that they're trying to get through the floor both sponsored by republicans and democrats to uh to add to the uh family uh act where you know you can oh yeah leave for birth for up to 12 weeks without pay but yeah you're not going to lose your job they want to include the loss of a child in that Yes, we told Speaker Ryan at the time. Absolutely, that makes sense. If you need twelve weeks just to get acclimated when your child comes in, my wife said, "Believe me, it's much harder when they leave." Yes, when they come in. and yeah. uh, but that's that's what we have a tendency to do is try to compartmentalize it. And the problem with that is, every box we open up, we never know there's going to be another piece shattered in there that just hits us out of, out of the blue. And, you know, most of us were taught, you know, men don't cry. We don't show emotion. We or at least a lot of us were taught yes. that or, yeah. or the society tries to put that on, on men. And it's, it, it doesn't work with grief because your tears are actually a healing balm through your grief process. And if you're constantly fighting that, you know, I understand you don't want to cry around other people, but you've got to get to a place where you can by yourself, let yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. I got and I think that's, it's interesting what you said about your, your kids, because siblings, a lot of times they won't come to their parents to talk about their struggles in the pain they're going through because that's a huge loss in their life. Yeah. They don't want to bring it to their parents because they already see our grief in it. They don't want to add to it. And for a lot of kids, they say they've lost, they lost their parents when they lost their sibling, which is very true. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of, a lot of couples don't make it, you know, the divorce rate is high and, um, that's I, I sat everybody down and I said, we're going to get 
we're going to get through this. You know, we're going to, whatever we have to do. I don't, you know, I don't care what yeah. it takes. We're going to, you know, and yeah, the, the, I got very good, like at crying in public, like put my head down or, you know, <laughs> I got, you know, or I, I, um, would, you know, run to the restroom at work and, you know, so, um, the crying. Yeah, I was fortunate that I had, I was an IT director. So I had in my own office. So when it was starting to hit me, I had the ability to close the door. Yeah. But you know, if you work on the shop floor or something, not yeah. so much. And some of these guys are working positions where if their mind's not on what they're doing, they're going to have some safety issues. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's an important thing to the workplace to give bereaved parents a, a chance to really get to a healthier place. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to I'm going to look into that too because I I went back. Th thank God for me. Um, I'm a school teacher and it was at the very end of the school year, so by the time we took the time off and had the memorial service and went back, I think there was only a week left of school and it was hard, but going back that August it, it was worse. It was it was it was much worse. Um, but Dave, I, I appreciate everything that you had to say. I appreciate your ministry. Um, the nothing box was real with me too. I, I <laughs> would sit there and the kids, would, I, I told them about it. I think I might've showed them the video. What was the man's name again? Is Gunderson. Mark Gunder. Mark Gunder, yeah. Where he says that the kids would ask him or his wife, what are you thinking about, honey? And he'd say nothing. Oh, you can't yeah. be thinking about nothing. How can you be well, thinking about nothing? That's thinking what's so, <laughs> so important as a family to have grace for one another because we all yeah. grieve differently anyway. Yes. But especially with the husband and wife, the woman's brain is a ball of wires. They they don't, it's impossible for them not to be thinking about something because right. these, these thoughts just yeah. one yeah. to another. And that's why they have to talk this stuff out. Yeah. And when, as a as a man a lot of times we just the way we can de-stress and deal with things is getting to that nothing box and you know they want to talk about it we want to be you know just be silent and both are mechanisms we need but we need to be there for each other in the sense that when my wife needs to talk about something i need to prefer her and put away my preference to be in my nothing box and yes. talk, even though that's not the way I grieve or not the way I can. And our wives need to have that grace that there are times that, you know, don't keep coming saying, why aren't you talking to me? I know you're grieving. I know you're hurting. I know you're either. And yeah, sometimes it's true. There are times as men, we hide it all and we just will not deal with it. But there are other times we are dealing with it, but in a much more silent way. Yes. They need to let us do that. So it's, but all in all, it's important for men to meet up with other bereaved parents and uh, be a part of it. Like you said, a lot of times it's the women, not the men, but yeah. the men can, can bring a lot of healing to themselves and to others just by coming together with people that get it and understand. Yeah, I like that connection you made that that show just showing up is going to help the other men that you're kind of mm -hmm. robbing them of your presence 
because um, sometimes it is just your your presence. Um, and I, I felt like I joked at one of the meetings when they did a lot of a couple of ladies talked and, you know, men don't cry this and that. I said, well, I think I'm in touch with my feminine side now because <laughs> I cried and cried and cried. And I taught I had to talk it out. There was a lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas with me. Yeah. And I well, had to go it's... down that road because it always came back to the same place. And I love to, in fact, today's yep. podcast that you launched today, the woman said about her daughter that took her life. Um, when she made her decision, God made, God made his. Right. right? And cause that's cause with me, it was, that helped me so much today because with me, it was always, well, the Lord took that person home, but this is different. You know, he took matters into right. his own hands. That's what they did in the garden. That, yeah. that taking things into our own hands is the age old story as ancient right, as the garden. Right. But when, when that, when she said that today, it like, yeah, that's like great, I tell yeah. you the parents that, that are, it's, it's hard enough dealing with the loss of your child, mm -hmm. but losing by way of suicide can always adds additional layers to that of grief mm -hmm. that you've got to go through. Yeah. There's such, whether, whether the society of the church does this or not, we do it to ourselves as parents. We put such guilt upon ourselves. I should have seen this. I should have done that. You know, yep. we need to quit shooting on ourselves. But yes, <laughs> you know, exactly. Yeah. You, you did yeah. everything you possibly could. And, uh, and it, it's just great to know that Jesus paid the price to take our sins and our shame, not just our sins, but our shame that we yes. feel in that type of stuff. Yes. And your children are in a, um, they're, they're not going through that struggle anymore. Yeah. And there's just that stigma, that mental issues, especially in the church, they're not taken as, as seriously as physical issues. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. yeah. But it, it's like, my diabetes is a chemical in, imbalance. Well, so is the, the depression and the thoughts yeah. that go through in a, a suicide. It's yeah. all physically related as well. And, yes. uh, and uh, it, it's just great that God is there to receive us. And he died to make that way possible for us to be together forever. Which yeah. is a song of my wife's CD. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah I heard that song. And then I saw, you know what caught my eye too? And um, we were big Alias fans in our house. Ah. I saw Becca, Becca loved Alias. Yeah. She called her, she was Sydney, and her younger sister, Kim, was uh, the other one. I can't yeah. remember her name. <laughs> yeah. Plus, when you're the, the um, memorial video your daughter made, said becca you were my sydney yeah my sydney oh, bristow yeah, yeah. yeah i said sydney bristow we yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's pretty yeah. neat that's really neat and um yeah there's there's a lot so i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna put all that stuff in the show notes and i hope other parents um will take take advantage of your your resources because it really is a, an effective ministry it helped me um, so much in those, in those early, you know, months. Um, 
And whenever a new one was launched, I was like, oh, great. <laughs> and I love that. I love the daily devotional. The daily devotional, um, I'm yeah, looking forward to that. I'm going to grab that because when when I was, I, I was, I, I never suffered from anxiety ever. My go-to emotion was always anger, you know, mm-hmm. fight, not fight or and, flight. You know, and I for know. for fathers, I think anger and guilt are probably the two biggest things we yeah. tend to deal with. But I never, but I was, I had so much anxiety. I never had anxiety before. I think part of it was, you know, the, the, the PTSD um, from getting that call from the detective, but I was anxious and I said, God, I can't, I can't do this. I, I can't live like this. Um, I, and, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you don't have to just get through today. Right. Just or do maybe sometimes, sometimes just the next breath. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. You, you yeah. know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it was, or, and I, I couldn't wait to get to my books at the end of the day. I read a book, um, Walking, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by Tim Keller. And um, that was very helpful. But um, again, give, give my best to Lord. And I really appreciate you and your ministry. Um, if you want to um, tell the listeners what you're up to next or what to look for on, on your website, Okay, well, I, I don't know how many bereaved parents are in your your listeners, but um, it, if if you uh, if you are and you're interested, we're in about three weeks. We have a retreat down here in in uh, Florida, and we still have room for another couple or another mom. Um, we have a retreat in Virginia in July. Uh, in it's in about an hour from the D.C. area. We're working on a retreat in the Ohio, Pennsylvania area in the fall. Uh, so we're still working on some of those and setting them up. Um, you can join our, our mailing list, follow us on Facebook or, and just and the podcast just to uh, stay in touch, find out where we're at. Because one of the things we love to do as we travel is we let people know where we're at and you might be spending a night in a cracker barrel and people will come and join us for dinner just to spend some time together fellowship together and we just love those because it's 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 church is what it is that's what it is (laughs) church for bereavement i believe that uh, you know yes if uh if you're not what is the format of your retreats uh, they're usually a Friday and, and Saturday night um, in an all-inclusive resort of some sort. We usually try to get like a VBO uh, cabin or something like that. And so we just have times. We'll have uh, some sessions where Laura might present something. I might present something. We have worship songs in there. And not a ton of it because we know some of us as bereaved parents especially early on, we just, we have a hard time with that, you know, yeah. um, but we're sensitive to that, but we still have some. Um, Laura's written a lot of uh, songs herself that we, we share. We share a song that Becca wrote. Becca was a worshiper and mm-hmm. she uh, 
wrote a lot of worship songs and her favorite one she ever wrote was called before the throne and that's actually etched on the back of her tombstone and that's uh, on laura's cd as well but we'll sing yeah. that and then we have we have a special dinner we have uh candle lightings lot, lots of special things that happen and the biggest thing is just being with other bereaved parents sharing our stories basically going on vacation with your child you have a chance to spend time and talk. We want to hear about your your child. You know, we yes, don't want to hear yes. this. Not necessarily the you know, we always go to how they died, which right. is a good healing thing to go through, but we want to know how they live too. You yes. know, what are the fun things, you know, and yes. It's, so it's it's there to for body, soul, and spirit renewal and yeah, and Laura said, Yeah. Um I like that because I remember I wrote something down. I think she said living in the light of their life instead of the shadow of their death. Right. I but wrote we that do, down. After they pass away, we're so consumed and at first completely understandable. But that one moment in time, the actual time of death, is all we are. We're just consumed by it. Yeah. Instead of that entire life lived beforehand, yes. which you can't, people can't tell you that, <laughs> you yeah. know, not even another bereaved parent can tell you that it's something, right. it's a revelation you have to get yourself. Yes. That there's gotta be that shift at some point where the weight of that instant doesn't outweigh the years of, or moments that were before that. Yes. One thing I was going to share too for those in your in your uh, audience that are not bereaved parents, if you know bereaved parents and want to know how to be there and support them, one of her books is called "Come Grieve Through Our Eyes," which is specifically how to give some help and support to bereaved parents. Oh yeah. And a lot yeah. of bereaved parents will buy that and give it to to somebody and say, here, read this, then come talk to me. <laughs> Don't say <laughs> yeah. anything until you've read this type of thing. Yes, yes. And, uh, and then uh, yeah. the other thing is her main book, When Tragedy Strikes, even though it's written in, it, its subtitle is how to, <clears throat> how to Live Again After the Death of Your Child with Hope and Healing. And even though it's written from that perspective, there's been a lot of people that have bought it and read it that haven't lost a child that appreciate it from the perspective of seeing firsthand how a relationship with Jesus works through suffering and tragedy. Yes. And how, how you can walk through that process, whatever yes. that tragedy is. Yes. Yes. Oh, well, I can't thank you enough for coming on and, um, like I said, give my best to Laura. Tell her thank you and how much. Is she there with you? I say hi. She's actually out <laughs> doing the uh, laundry right now. <laughs> All right. The, the we're, RV we're switching life. spots. Usually she's doing this and, and I'm out trying yeah, to yeah. stay away from the recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave, thank you again so much. And um, everything's going to be in the show notes and we'll probably launch on it's Valentine's Day today, probably on um, Wednesday or Thursday. But thank you again so much oh, from welcome. the bottom thank, of my thank heart. Thanks for having me. All right. God bless.